Hello and welcome in to the post-draft Not Just Another Sports Podcast edition. It is an absolutely fantastic day to be a Kansas City Chiefs fan. And joining me as another happy and excited Kansas City Chiefs fan is Christian Amesworth. Christian, how would you rate your just draft experience today or this weekend, I should say? Pretty incredible. I mean, we talked a little bit about this off the podcast, but you know, I, I went ahead and I watched the normal ESPN stream and, and got into all that. And the Chiefs had the picks to do some moving and they moved. They did it first round and the second round. And I think back in the fourth round. So I was on my toes the entire three days. I watched a little bit less of the third day of the, the draft. But dude, it was crazy. It's crazy to see the Chiefs finally have some draft capital to, to make some moves. And Beach was aggressive. And... He was aggressive. I mean, what more can you ask of him, right? Yeah, I I will start off before we get into the Chiefs draft. I will say that the first round in its entire entity was just so entertaining. So many storylines, so much movement. You had player, like current NFL players getting traded. It was highly, highly entertaining. And just my opinion, if you are watching the ESPN broadcast, you are doing it wrong. Me and my buddy, we, we tried the ESPN broadcast by about pick nine or 10. We were just sitting there on our phones scrolling through Twitter because the picks were so far ahead. And we just be like, oh, it's, you know, it's Garrett Wilson. And then it's so delayed. We switched over to Pro Football Focus's live broadcast, which they've got four guys on the table. They get the picks in as soon as Twitter finds out. Their analysis is good. They've got their big board up there. They do like the player stats and everything like that in college. They've got Mike Renner, who is their guy who writes their draft guide. The only thing you don't get is the little highlight package of them in college, which honestly, and oh, by the way, there's no commercials. The only commercial you get is they're like once every 30 minutes, they do some sort of live read, like, oh, Manscaped or oh, buy Bitcoin or whatever. And compared to like, oh, the 30th ad for, um, you know, Hellsberg or whatever. So highly, highly recommend that. I watched it day one and day two. I was glued to it. All Friday night, my wife could not get me off the couch. It was peak, peak enjoyment. So, but yeah, you you mentioned it a little bit. And I want to start with this right here. We can get into the Chiefs draft. But this is, in my opinion, one of the best times to be a Chiefs fan in a long time. Now, there's a lot of great on the football field accomplishments that the Chiefs have had. In recent memory, you know, winning a Super Bowl, going to another one, hosting AFC championships, you know, fantastic playoff victories, MVPs. But this is the most encouraging thing that I have seen as being a Chiefs fan since probably the beginning of Super Bowl 55. Once that game started, it was very clear that it wasn't going to go well. And here's what I mean. When the Chiefs traded Tyreek Hill, it made sense to me. And I hoped that they were heading down a path where they had to start building the roster around a quarterback who was making elite quarterback money. And therefore, while I was skeptical, you know, we did get a great haul back for Tyreek Hill, which I think we can definitely say now after seeing what we got, what the AJ Brown trade got, um, the Hollywood Brown trade, the Devontae Adams trade, the Chiefs got a great package for Tyreek Hill. And that, that led me to be optimistic. 
but I was very afraid going into this draft. We heard this narrative all the time. Oh man, 12 players can't make this roster. There's no way, you know, Veach, he's going to be super aggressive. And I was concerned that we were going to come away with five or six players and Brett Veach just trade up, trade up, trade up, trade up. And that we would throw a lot of that capital away in trying to get up and look, I, like a lot of people, would have loved the idea of Jamison Williams being a chief or Garrett Wilson or Kayvon Thibodeau or whatever. But the results that came away from this draft have me so encouraged about the direction of this team going forward. What was the comparison for the Chiefs that we've talked about and other people have talked about? The Seahawks, the 2013 Seahawks, a flash in the plan a great team with a cheap quarterback have their couple of years of success fade into the nothingness. I do not think that that is where this team is going now because, and I know it's one draft and let's just say it once so we can get it out of the way. The, well, we don't really know anything about these players until they pan out and see if they hit the field. This, this draft could be a total bust for all we know. Okay. There we said it. It's all been said. This draft completely changes the direction of this franchise and completely changes the outcome of that like Seattle Seahawks because Seattle did not have a draft like this we're talking about four five six starters easily that are coming out of this draft and you can say well you don't really know those things look there is a position and opening for these players these are players that were highly thought of and that almost every single, this isn't a couple of people thinking this. These are people who have done this for years, who come away saying that the Chiefs draft was remarkable. This is such an encouraging time to be a Chiefs fan. The future of this organization is bright. And we sat here about a month ago and said, you know, the 2022 Chiefs might not be as good, but the 2023, 2024 Chiefs might be better for trading Terry Kill. And I'm here to say right now, I'm not so sure that that's even true. I think the 2022 Chiefs might be better without Tyreek Hill because of what they've done with this. Well, it, I'll pump the brakes a little bit on that because, I mean, you said it earlier. Uh, we don't really know what these picks are going to turn into. Now, these are great prospects, and we can dive into them each prospect by prospect a little bit later. But we really have no idea where this team is is actually at right now. We do know, however, that the defensive line group is deeper than it was last year. Like that, that's something that we can say just by adding Melvin Ingram to the mix. And, you know, he essentially has that UFA tender rarely used because it's only used in situations where teams are going to teams and players really want to be re-signed or be reunited, uh, but they don't want to go through the training camp nonsense stuff. So you see that with us in, in Melvin Ingram. You see it with Justin Houston or with the Ravens. Uh, but going back to that, our, our defensive line has gotten better. Now you go to the other side of the field. I think our offensive line group is a little bit deeper than it was last year. I know that everybody said we had this crazy offensive line group. I mean, we saw it when Mike Rimmers is starting for you at right tackle. That's not great. I mean, granted, Niang and Wiley went down with injuries. and uh, that pro bowl guard from the Raiders that we got, you know, he, uh, he didn't exactly play as much as we'd like for him to. And, and he was injured as well. We got Darian Kennard who, you know, say what you want about him. He's a swing tackle that can play on the inside. Now we don't know how good he will be, but we do know that he can at least do that. 
And then the wide receiver group went from essentially two really good players and nobody to like four or five pretty good players and Travis Kelsey, who is an elite player. So what the Chiefs have done, they've become a deeper team throughout this offseason and throughout this draft. And I don't know if I'll say that they will be better than the 2021 Chiefs, but I will say I think that they will be, I, I mean, like like you talked about, I think they'll be better 2023 and 2024. This is obviously a move for the future. And Brett Beach has done an incredible job of doing that through free agency, through the draft, through, through the trades that he's pulled off in the past couple of weeks. Like this is, it's an exciting time for Chiefs football because we really don't know where this, this franchise is going, but we do know that we have, you know, an incredible position group of quarterback and it makes it, it seems like we are making an attempt to upgrade all of our other positions through the draft cheap ways so we can add other players in free agency that we can overpay for a little bit. And that, that's one of the reasons why we couldn't actually do that this off season was because Frank Clark is on contract and you know what, we really don't have a defensive line group. So we have to bring him back. We can renegotiate and he'll, you know, be a $13 million cap hit instead of a $24 million cap hit or $29 million cap hit. But like when you have those obstacles to overcome, it makes it way, way harder. And now Tyreek Hill isn't on the payroll. Frank Clark after this year won't be on the payroll. Um, with this offensive line group, we could see them moving on from Tooney in, in a year or two or Orlando Brown in a year or two, depending on how our tackle class you know, go, develops and, and moves forward. So we're in a great position here where we can build for the future and not be the Seahawks, which is, I, I think, the main point you are making. Yeah, and I mean, look, I'm having a hard time finding a position group that is markedly worse from this point last year. I, If you want to squint and say the secondary, I'll listen to it, but I think there's some addition by subtraction there. Um, <laughs> Dan Torrance yeah. leaving the secondary is making it better. And I, I tell you what, I know that this is like a little thing and I'm probably just reading into it, but they released George Karlaftis's number the next day and it was 56. And that was just like, Hey, we're not bringing back Ben Neiman and Dan Swords somewhere else. And they're clearly out on Tyron Matthew. Like the, the defense needed a change. It needed a change in mentality. It needed a change in players. I am convinced when Brett Veach like set out for this draft, like pretty much since the AFC championship, he sat in a dark room with just Ben Neiman and Dan Sorensen tape rolling on a TV. Just like, I can never let this happen again. And then he just like drafted people like Leo Chanel. And it's just like, no, we're never going back yeah. to that. And like, okay, so the secondary. First off, you've got, you know, they signed Justin Reed. You still have Juan Thornhill. You draft Brian Cook. And then even Trent McDuffie has some safety-like skills. That that group is markedly better. And that's not including Joshua Williams, who they bring at, at, through the draft, Jalen Watson, who a lot of people are high on. And then they go and trade for Lonnie Johnson Jr. today, too. Well, don't group, forget Sneed. Don't forget and, Sneed, yeah, by the way. Yeah, Sneed is still there. I was kind of including him, him and Fenton as just like they were part of the core. You know, you're kind of exchanging that. Oh, out. I got you. I got so you. It's I got you. 100% a deeper group. Now you can say, you know, 
Tyron Matthew, a known commodity, Charverius Ward, a known commodity. But that group's ceiling is 10 times higher than what we were getting from the Chiefs last year. And I would argue that the floor is probably a little bit higher too, because Dan Swanson literally could turn that secondary into Swiss cheese. I mean, that's the same secondary that turned Gabriel Davis into like Jerry Rice and just absolutely destroyed. Next, the linebacking core. Getting Ben Neiman off this team, addition by subtraction. I don't think he was as bad as Chiefs fans made him out to be, but I'm here to tell you it's 100% better without him and adding Leo Chanel because Leo Chanel, and we'll, we'll get into the bigs a little bit more. And this is something that I pointed out after night one of the draft. The, player, the Chiefs are acquiring athletes. Almost all the players that they drafted raw athletic scores were 70 percentile or higher. I think the only players that they drafted that were below average, Jared, uh, not Jared Cook, sorry, wrong player, Brian Cook, didn't have a raw athletic score because he was injured during the testing phase. Some of the guys they added in UDFA, like Justin Ross and a couple others, were not elite-level athletes. But the Chiefs are grabbing athletes. You add Brian uh, – I can't remember his name. He was a linebacker that they signed in free agency who played with the Panthers. Um, it was Bush. Um, no, I can't it's, remember Car- his it's Carter. They added Dion Bush, um, the safety, yeah. Oh, Jermaine Carter. Um, Jermaine, Jermaine Carter, Carter. Yeah. yeah. He's a better athlete than what we had in Ben Neiman. And then Leo Chanel is a 99% athlete. Like, he is one of the most athletic linebackers to ever do it. That group with Nick Bolton and Willie Gay and Jermaine Carter, instantly better. The pass rush with Carl Aftis, that's the one group that you could, agree, you know, depending if they bring back Ingram, that's the one group that you could say is stagnant, maybe not improved a lot. However, mm-hmm. I think with Carl Aftis, Ingram, Clark, Jones, you still have Naughty in the mix there. If you can get anything out of Kando, that that group can be better. And I seriously think that Leo Chanel will be like third in the team in sacks. He is a fucking beast when he is locked into rushing the pastor. But I, we'll get back. We'll, we'll get to that in a second. Offensive okay, I was line. I going to say, yeah. yeah. Offensive line is at least the same. But I'm telling you, look at what the offensive line was last year. This time, you know, we were so concerned about the offensive line. Orlando Brown, you've got Jaron Christian, you've got Joe Tooney, you've got Creed Humphrey. They bring back Austin Ryder. You've got Trey Smith. They draft, they go and draft Darian Kennard, who is a guard tackle swing. They've got, they still have Wiley. They still have Lucas Nyang. I mean, this offensive line is so deep. And that's not even including a guy who started for them in the Super Bowl, Nick Allegretti. Like, this is a great offensive line room. I feel really, really good about it. And wide receiver, while Tyreek Hill was certainly the ceiling, you know, Tyreek Hill is one of one. But I'm still not 100% sure that Tyreek Hill, Byron Pringle, Demarcus Robinson, and McCole Hardman is as good with, with Tyreek Hill as what they have now. If, if it's not as good, it's equal. I don't think that it's necessarily regressed. The only spot is tight end. They didn't really do much there. Well, and running back got better. From oh, yeah, this offseason, completely. Running back got way better. Now, I'll, I'll push back on you on the wide receiver group because I think that with Tyreek Hill and that game-breaking speed, I think that kind of takes it to a level that you can't really reach. But there's an argument to be made that this offensive or this, this wide receiver group is not only deeper but more talented all the way through. Um you know, Juju Smith-Schuster, uh, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, Sky Moore, 
who we'll talk about a little bit later too. I mean, these are guys that are going to play significant snaps for your football team. And I'll just throw out the, who do you like better? Pringle or MVS? MVS. Who do you like better? Demarcus Robinson or Juju? Juju, not even close. Now, Tyreek Hill, Sky Moore, you really like Tyreek Hill a whole lot more than Sky Moore, even though we don't really know who he is. But that's the only toss-up. Mecole stayed the same. Another year with Mecole in the system, that's better. So this wide receiver room, like you stated earlier, is has gotten a whole lot better. And it went from one guy and nobody to three or four really, really good guys. And with this offensive line, Patrick Mahomes and another threat, another receiving threat, Tyre, or Travis Kelsey, like these guys are going to get open. And there's a reason Patrick Mahomes wasn't throwing to D-Rob a whole bunch, a whole bunch, or Josh Gordon a whole bunch, or McCall Hardman a whole bunch last year. It's because he didn't trust him. Now you have guys that are coming in. Juju is going to be a reliable receiver. Sky Moore is probably going to be a reliable receiver. MVS, probably reliable. You've just elevated that group to a point where what, what are the other teams going to do when your wide receivers are three or four deep and they're all in the same tier of wide receivers? Like that, that's almost impossible to cover with any scheme and our offensive line. So the offense is going to be good. The defense though, like I stated earlier, I, I, we don't know yet. Could they be better? Are they better on paper? Probably. Like if you add two first round draft picks to that defense, yeah, they probably get a whole lot better. I just don't think we know yet. And I, and I have a hard time putting those types of expectations on players, especially a guy like George Karloftis, who I think might, might have should have been taken a little bit later. And Trent McDuffie, who, you know, by everybody's standards, probably should have been the second or third corner taken off the board. Instead, he slips to 21. It's just a lot of pressure to put on these young kids who are coming into a brand new system with brand new players facing higher level talent. And, and expecting them to be pro bowl level players right out of the box. I, I just think that that's a little bit, um, maybe a little bit wishful thinking. Well, here's what, here's what I'll say. I think that, and we'll, let's get into the picture here in a second, but I do think that when you throw numbers at this, which they did, which was the thing that I was probably the most pleased with is they still came away with 10 players. I did agree that, um, there was not going to be a total of 12 players taken, but I'm glad that they came away with 10. When you throw numbers at it, you give yourself a little breathing room. I mean, yeah, Brian Cook might suck, but then maybe Nazi Johnson, the guy that they took at the end of the seventh, is going to be the long-term solution for them or whatever. So I, I'm glad that they were able to make that change there where they brought in numbers, especially the secondary, which they clearly threw numbers at. Yeah, well, and look at our DB room last year. DeAndre Baker, Jarvarius Ward, Legereus Sneed, Rashad Fenton, and Mike Hughes. Like, that, you know, on paper, first-round picks, yeah, there's, there's some talented guys on that team. Were any of them exceptional? Not really. You, there's an argument to be made for Sneed, but it was clear that they, they prioritized upgrading this in the draft or, or that room in the draft, and I think they did a great job. Let's see what they put together and what they do on the field, but sure as hell looks a lot better. 
Absolutely. So let's go ahead and just kind of go pick by pick. We'd, we're certainly not going to get into super high level analysis analysis on the guys at the end of this the picks just because there are a little bit more wild cards. Um, but I mean, first off, the Chiefs move up to grab Trent McDuffie at pick 21. Who did you did you think that they were going up for a specific player? What were you thinking? I was surprised they took McDuffie. But then again, McDuffie was one of those guys that I kind of forgotten was on the board. Um, to me, in my head, he was just a corner that I never, ever got mocked to the Chiefs because he was never there. It was always like, you know, you're choosing from Elam, maybe Petrie, Seen, Daxton Hill. Those were the guys that were sitting there. So for him to be sitting up there, I was shocked that they went up to 21 and get him because I honestly thought that they were maybe going Jermaine Johnson there. But seeing that is how it worked out, and how they started the run on corners there, because the there's no way that either Elam or um, McDuffie were going to still be sitting there for him at pick 29. Yeah, there was no chance. And there are some people that liked Andrew Booth Jr., the, the Clemson cornerback, better than Elam or oh, there's or, no there's no way. Dude, with I, the I, injury, I'm telling you, there were there were some people that had him mocked in the upper half of the first. Now. I don't necessarily agree with that, but there were some people that wish we would have taken him instead of McDuffie. I disagree, but there, everyone has their prerogative, you know? Yeah. I just think that the injury history with Booth is just too much. You're relying on mm-hmm. old, old tape with him. I know it's a little bit like that with Stingley, but McDuffie, like literally the thing stopping McDuffie from being like corner number one in this draft is just, a little bit undersized and everything else the tape the intellect the way that he plays inside outside everything says he is you know cb2 at least or cb3 besides the measurables so i was thrilled with that i see him i mean honestly if you're sitting here telling me in a year or two that he's one of the best safeties in the nfl i would still believe it he even brought up the fact in his interview that he sees himself as kind of that Tyron Matthew role. He can play inside. He can play outside. He's probably not the type of the way that I see this working is that it's probably going to be McDuffie and Sneed on the outside. Now adding um, Lonnie Johnson in there will be kind of interesting, but I think that they are predominantly outside guys. And then Fenton will probably kick back inside. Um, I'm not, I haven't really looked at Lonnie Johnson to see if he was an outside or inside guy. But more than anything, this brings back, because that was one thing we talked about when they signed Justin Reed, is that they had lost some of that flexibility of just being able to play people wherever. Now you've got, you know, a couple of guys who can line up in multiple places, makes that back end versatile. Well, and with bringing in McDuffie, and, and I'll talk about my reaction to, to them trading up as well. Like, obviously, Jermaine Johnson was there, but I don't think anybody mocked McDuffie to be there at 21 I mean for me I I'm the one that did the defensive back groups uh for our uh Arrowhead live draft guide this year I had him as our number two corner and that wasn't that far off from where everybody else had him. it was number two number three they traded up and grabbed him and I'll agree with you I think that they want to put him on the outside he is a little bit smaller and production was kind of a question I mean he he never had like a six or seven interception season, like some of these guys coming out of college, but that was because people stopped throwing at him. 
like even the Cincinnati corner sauce Gardner, he, he was still getting thrown at people still tried him. Nobody tried McDuffie. They, they said that side of the field is locked down. We'll throw one of our worst receivers over there. And McDuffie would sometimes travel. Well, this guy's taken out of the play this time. So I think they are going to have him come in to be that outside boundary corner with Legereus Sneed. And who is it? Lonnie Johnson Jr., the guy, the guy we just grabbed. He is like 6'2", about like one, 190, I think. So he's an outside guy as well. They had him on the outside uh, at Houston. So he's also another guy that could come in for depth there on the outside. But McDuffie was a perfect fit as far as I'm concerned to this defense. He can absolutely play the Tyron Matthew role. He can play the slot cornerback role. The only thing I think you could say he probably can't do is play free safety. I think he still might be able to do that, just not at a high level. So super versatile guy, play all along the backside of the defense. Again, another 99% athlete, by the way, one of the most athletic corners to ever test. So you love that. Um, Then they stand pat at pick 30. This is where I was kind of starting to wonder if maybe they trade down, that maybe someone was coming up to get Malik Willis. That didn't end up happening. Clearly, he fell. Um, Carl Aftis is one of those people that I think started getting a bad rep mid-draft or kind of getting closer to the draft because he was one of those guys that Chiefs fans especially started talking about the possibility of the Chiefs moving up to draft. He, you know, you saw him mocked as high as, you know, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. He was definitely edge five or six on most people's board. Um, PFF had him as high as edge number three or four, I believe. They liked him a little bit more than others. Um, There's some things to really like about Carl Aftis. Him and McDuffie, both 21 years old, so you're getting young prospects. Carl Aftis, pretty new to football, relatively speaking. I think he's only played for four or five years. He used to play water polo. He's from Greece. His whole family is from Greece. Um, One thing that I love about him, all these people out here drafting Georgia players, whenever Georgia was literally like an all-star team in college football. And I'm telling you, like you get to face, you know, you play against Devontae Wyatt, Trayvon Walker, Jordan Davis, all on one defensive line, you get to see some one-on-ones. Carl Aftis was the dude at Purdue. Every team knew that they had to start him and face him and plan for him. And he played, he never played less than like 60 to 75% of the snaps. He's an Iron Man. He does not give up on plays. Super aggressive, super violent. The reason why he was not a top 10 pick is because he just doesn't have the, what they call that bend around getting around the tackle but great speed rusher, great hands, um, lots of power. Like this is this is exactly like, you know, all those plays that the Chiefs had in the AFC Championship where they were so cl- close to sacking Joe Burrow and they just never got to him. Carl Aftis, drafting a player like Carl Aftis is what stops that. An athlete who does not give up on plays, who plays snap after snap. I loved this. I loved the value at 30. And he's a guy that I think Chiefs fans are really going to like as far as a player because he doesn't give up on plays. And his ceiling is just, it's still going up. Him and McDuffie, both young prospects who have that raw athleticism, get them in an NFL weight room, get them around NFL coaching, and they are just going to continue to grow and develop as NFL prospects. 
So I'll talk a little bit about McDuffie before I start into George Karloftis. He actually was a three-year starter as well. So came in as a freshman and, and started all three years. And he's still really young, like you said. So he does have some development, some ceiling that has still potential that he's yet to be reached. Uh, with Karloftis, though, he didn't get a lot of hype going into this draft after the combine because people thought he didn't really test that well. You look at the numbers here. I, I have his draft rate or his, his pressure rate compared to other players. It's 17.2%. And that's that's more than Jay, or Jermaine Johnson. It's more than Trayvon Walker. It's more than David Ajabo. It's more than Kayvon Thibodeau. It's just behind Aiden Hutchinson with 18.2%. So this is a guy that was the man, like you said, was getting a lot of double teams. And he wasn't getting home a whole lot but he still had a whole bunch of pressures. So he is going to come in with that motor and upgrade this defensive line room. And I don't know why he fell all that far. He, he kind of gets a bad rap for like not being the most athletic, not having a whole lot of bend to me from everything that I've seen. He, he has the potential to, to have more bend than, than he does right now. He just doesn't have any moves. Like he's a lot younger than, than some of these, well, not a lot younger, but he's younger than some of these other guys and newer to the game. And I mean, like I pulled up his RAS scores, uh, follow me on Twitter. I posted this earlier, um, like 9.23 RAS for the position. That's more than like Robert Quinn, who just got 18 sacks. It's more than Joey Bosa, who people thought was a freak of nature coming out of like coming into the league. Better than Jermaine Johnson, D'Angelo Malone, Arnold Ebichetti, Frank Clark, D. Ford. Like, he's a guy that has athletic upside. This is just because he doesn't have the technique yet doesn't mean that his ceiling shouldn't be as high as Jermaine Johnson. He just, that's just not his game. He, he just hasn't learned that yet. So, with the motor, with the desire to be better, his potential, as far as I'm concerned, is as high or higher than a guy like Jermaine Johnson. And you watch the tape and that, that sticks out to you too. His first step is insanely fast. So I, I don't know why he fell all the way to 30 NFL draft buzz. One of my, my favorite pre draft sites to, to look at had him as the third best edge rusher in this class. And you watch that video with Spags where he talks to, to Karloftis over the phone as they draft him. And he's like, I've watched a lot of guys this year you were by far my favorite prospect. I can see it. Now, will he live up to that? Will he be better than Aiden Hutchinson? Probably not. I mean, he's, he doesn't have that type of athletic profile. Will he be better than Trayvon Walker? We don't know, but he's still a great player. And getting him at 30, I think, was, was a pretty good pick. I think you got good value. And that, that is the main theme of this draft for Veach. Great value everywhere from the early rounds to the late rounds it seemed like every pick they had a guy in mind and they did exactly how much they needed to do to get him, whether that was trade back, trade up, it just worked out perfectly for them. Yeah. And you talk about the value and that's one, when, when it comes to grading drafts, I think there needs to be a couple of things. There needs to be the value that you get, the player you get, the position you get and what it does for your roster. People, and they did, they do hit it out of the park very often, but people just drooling all over themselves about the Ravens getting the best safety and best center on the board. 
I mean, it's the best safety and it's the best center. They can make great plays and barely impact the game. You know, that's that's part of the argument about like when we were going in this draft about Brett Veach is that he's gotten good players, but not at positions of high value. The tree, the Chiefs got great value for these players. McDuffie was PFF's number 11 player on their big board. Um, Brugler had McDuffie as, hold on, let me look here. They had, let's see, Karloftis was at 18. And then they had McDuffie at 12. So they got those players at 21 and 30. 11 and, 12, 11 and 10 on PFF's board. Incredible value. Yes, you had the trade up for McDuffie, but we knew that the Chiefs were going to move some. If they did that every time, it would have been a problem. But they moved up, got their guy, clearly at a time that they had to go get their guy. And I, I love both of these picks. I came away from round one feeling great. They addressed two of their biggest positions of need, and they got great value on both those guys. Neither one of those guys were there. I mean, you heard Brett Veach say, we never practiced the situation for Trent McDuffie because we never thought that situation would be there. And then going into, and this is the thing, and I tweeted this out, and I ended up being wrong happily. Thankfully, some other teams cooperated. But I did not see a situation where the Chiefs could go cornerback edge or cornerback wide receiver or edge wide receiver in round one and then get a third good guy. You know, I thought that there was no way that a Sky Moore or George Pickens or any of those guys would have been around for the Chiefs to still address wide receiver fairly high. Round two, when it started, I was on bent and needles. Christian Watson went pretty early. And I was like, oh, man, like, you know, this is the run. It's going to happen, and we're going to lose out on Pickens and Sky Moore and be kind of without wide receivers. Thankfully, some teams kind of cooperated there in the middle. It took kind of reached on some wide receivers, especially. Um, but getting Sky Moore where they did, and, I mean, this is a guy that I felt like I ended up with in mock drafts over and over again with Sky Moore. And, you know, I think that – he is going to be a guy that the Chiefs don't get. Like, if you told me that Sky Moore was the fourth productive, fourth most productive wide receiver on the Chiefs this year, that would seem about accurate. I'm not sure that he'll outperform Michael Hardman, but I think next year, the following year, he's going to be the, the guy here, unless, you know, MVS really takes off or Juju stays or something, or there's a big trade. So I, I loved this pick trading down to get it. That was excellent. And I think that's the thing that I came over with most about Brett Beach's ability. Anybody can read a big board and see where the value is, but him being able to read what other teams are doing and realizing, look, I'm going to trade back here and know that teams are reaching on players like Wandale Robinson and um, Jaquan, well, Jaquan Brisker wasn't really a reach. But knowing that he could go and reach back and that the Patriots were going to take Tyquan Thornton and then Pickens and then Alec Pierce all went in between that pick 50 and still get their guy at Sky Moore. And who knows, maybe the Chiefs did want to take Pickens. But to me, when they traded back, that was them saying we're out on Pickens and that they could wait on Sky Moore. See, and, and I, I'll push back on that a little bit. I think that they saw Alec Pierce, George Pickens, and Sky Moore on the board. And four picks, four four teams ahead of them if they traded back, and they said, um, "Okay, yeah, we we will take either one of those three guys." They, you know, I think they all they probably had them 
all on their board very closely. I don't think that they thought Sky Moore was going to be there. Um, but, you know, Mike Tomlin, Mike Tomlin loves his diva receivers. So, of course, they would have taken George Pickens. I see this as a as a bit of a mistake because I was a really big George Pickens fan. Um, so if I were them, I don't think I would have traded back. Now, my opinion did change once we got that fourth round pick back or fifth round pick and we got Darian Kennard, like a, a very highly rated offensive lineman that slipped from probably a day two pick to a day three pick. Uh, but I think that they were in a position where yeah, okay, we we like these three guys. Whichever one of them falls to us at 54, we'll take. And Pickens went off the board. Alec Pierce went off the board. And Sky Moore was left, and they said, okay, let's, let's go with Sky Moore. If they were really sold, you know, in my opinion, if they were really sold on any of these guys, they would have just taken them right there. Like, oh, we're a, we're a big Sky Moore fan. We don't want Mike Tomlin to even have the chance of, of grabbing him here. Um, we're, we're just going to grab him real quick so they can't get him. Or George Pickens is clearly our guy. Mike Tomlin, he, you know, he's into those diva receivers. We'll pick him right here so he doesn't have the chance. No, they went, okay, we, we have these guys. We'll just grab one of them. And I think it worked out well. Out of those receivers, I think Sky Moore is, is a really good receiver. His size, though, he's like nine, five foot nine and a half, which, you know, is pretty small unless you're Tyreek Hill. Guys like Antonio Brown, uh, Julian Edelman, some of these like smaller, Alec, or I guess Antonio Brown really isn't just a slot guy, but it, I'm just saying that we still have to see if, if he'll be able to fare outside against press man coverage in the NFL, but he could absolutely, he has the tools to develop into a guy that can play on the outside. And, and I hope that that happens, you know, we'll, hopefully in a year or two, he's our guy, but like you, I'll agree with you on this point. I don't think his production is going to be any more than 500 yards this season with just how deep the wide receiver group is. And, you know, Andy reads how hard the system is for, for young receivers to, to come in and, and pick up. I think that 500 yards is probably a good estimate for where he's going to be. I wouldn't expect him to come in and, and be the dog, be the alpha. And I thought George Pickens might have been able to do that. So Great, not amazing pick for me. Yeah, but George Pickens also has two torn ACLs and a litany of off-the-field questions. I think that this team, again, kind of going back to the not trading up for players, I think they needed to pick safe players at two. And after the first round, there was a ton of hand-wringing done by the Chiefs about the character of the guys that they drafted. And I just got like, we're not taking George Pickens vibes from them throughout that whole thing. Sky Moore seems like a good – I think all the players they drafted all seem like quality guys. It was great to not hear about a sexual assault or anything um, when the Chiefs mm-hmm. drafted a player for a change. Um, I mean, here's the thing. If Sky Moore is Julian Edelman or like Ju- like that level of player or what was the other white guy that Peyton Manning had for forever? Wes um, Welker. Yeah, Wes Welker. I mean, that's a fantastic player to draft. That's literally awesome. That's amazing. Well, I, th- and but he doesn't fit into our scheme is, is my point. Like, Andy I Reed likes for his wide receivers to be everywhere. Wes Welker couldn't play on the outside. Julian Edelman yeah. couldn't and play on I the think, outside. I think the biggest the biggest question mark with the wide receiver room, and we'll, we'll move on to the drafts here in a second, but just 
Juju to me is the one thing that doesn't really fit right now. Well, they just have a lot of redundancy right now. Juju, I think is going to probably play outside some half the time he can play outside or inside. You've got McColl, who's kind of a slot only guy. I think Juju and or McColl are both gone next year and the slot will be open for Sky Moore. And I think that's where he'll live majority of the time, which is fine. Um, and I agree that his lack of size, he doesn't like when you get guys with lack of size, their traits need to be so outrageous that they can overcome that on the outside, like speed with Tyree Kill. Um, mm-hmm. But I mean, the comps for Sky Moore are like Julian Edelman or Jeremy Macklin, which both of those are guys that would definitely work in Andy Reid's scheme. So I think, you know, you look at this year and I'm not even going to call it an apprenticeship here because like, let me go look, but I would absolutely sign up for McCall Hardman's rookie year from Sky Moore. Like I completely think that that's within the realm of possibility because you're not feeding 1300 yards to Tyree Kill the ball is going to be shared a little bit more. Yeah, McCall Hardman's first year, 538 yards, six touchdowns. They get that out of Sky more, I think you're thrilled. Yeah. Love um, the pick. Well, the, the only thing that I'll say, though, about – so go back to your point there where you were talking about the redundancy because I, I didn't really understand what you were talking about there. Well, you've got – Like, Ju, Juju can play inside or outside. I would say that the only redundant thing about our wide receiver room is that MVS and Michael Hardman are still on the same team. Like really those guys are only deep threats. Now we kind of know what Michael Hardman is. We don't know what MVS will look like in this scheme, but like, I think that those guys are about the only two players you can say are like match, you know, one right after the other, basically the same player. I think, I think that the struggle is you, you know, with certainty that MVS is playing on the outside. That that is where he will live majority of the majority of his snaps. I think the Chiefs found hopefully the role that they need to just use for McCall Hardman, and that's Dexter McCluster plus, you know, 90% of his targets need to be at or close to the line of scrimmage. Then the redundancy comes in a little bit with in, uh Juju and Sky Moore because they and McColl, because McColl is probably best when he's in the slot at times. And mm-hmm. then Juju predominantly slot and then sky more predominantly in the slot um i that's where i think like you know i i think that they're probably looking at juju as just a one-year deal or maybe they're gonna try to keep juju and uh, mccall is on his last year i definitely think that there's some interesting not just with mccall hardman but some of the other players on the chiefs roster it's interesting to see what the draft means for them and their future but either way like I said, you sign me up for 550 yards from Sky Moore and a five or six touchdowns, and he can he can be handed the ball as well too. I don't I won't count it. He did have some carries in Western Michigan. I just think you know adjusting to the level of competition will be something for him. That was one of the criticisms, but to get this value with the trade down, love it. Great pick. Yep, and, and I think it was good value. Nobody expected Sky Moore to be there at 54 let alone 50 um, like to, to get him this late into the second round, I think was, was a good pickup, especially with the players that were left on the board. Then you have Brian cook safety. Um, really like this pick. This was the first one that was kind of like, uh, don't didn't, I hadn't done a ton of reading on Brian cook, but once you started looking at his tape, there was a lot to really like about him as a player. Um, he was safety number six, according to Dane Brugler. 
Chiefs got him right about where he was kind of mocked as. Um, really physical player. This is your Dan Swanson replacement, except with a ton more athleticism and upside. This dude lays the wood. Love this pick. I think that this makes your safety room super versatile. And I think you look at that Cincinnati, Cincinnati secondary, love the way that they play. There's a lot of reasons to be excited about Brian Cook. Well, yeah, and you said it. Daniel Sorensen with upside. Like, this is a guy that's going to play in the box or play that sub-linebacker role that we saw Daniel Sorensen play. He can blitz. He's fast as hell. He's, he's got, like, a quick twitch, like, super hard-hitting, like, Tyron Matthew type of, of player where it's like, you know what, if, if I'm spreading over to you and you're going to catch it on the boundary, you better get your hands on it quick because I'm going to be putting my helmet in the middle of your chest and you're, you're not going to want to do that anymore. And he, he's absolutely, he was so fun to watch at Cincinnati just with all that power, all that speed. And I think he comes in and I don't, I don't know how most people had him mocked. Like if they had him in the top 50, top 100, but to me, after watching his tape, he looks like a, a top 50 player. I mean, with, with all that speed, all that athleticism and he'll fit right in, in this scheme. Now, what does that mean for Juan Thornhill's future? What does that mean for uh, Justin Reed's long-term future here? We don't really know all that. I, I would assume Justin Reed will play out his contract here. But, I mean, with Trim McDuffie and Brian Cook coming in, two guys who are extremely versatile, who can play slot, safety, free safety, like, it just makes this defensive defensive back unit so multiple and that's that's what spags really loves to do because he likes to send a lot of blitzes from different places and brian cook is absolutely somebody you can send on a blitz like a corner blitz or a like a free fire dime or nickel package blitz where he's running through the middle middle of the line like that pick coming in i think that was all just incredible value incredible scouting by veach and again that like just value pick there that that was incredible value good scheme fit good player nothing off the field incredible pick for me as far as I'm concerned I'm I might have even been okay if they took him with pick 50 so I mean just seeing him coming in and, and contributing to the Chiefs this upcoming season is, is going to be something fun to watch yeah so wide majority he played 370 snaps 78 percent in the box so, like I said, he's your new kind of Dan Swartzen dime backer. The, he was called by several people on the PFF broadcast as the best tackler in this draft. This dude is, a, is just a force. Um, the PFF comp for him is Chuck Clark, which is a great safety. It's a good player to get that where they got him with the value. And now I love what this does for Juan Thornhill and Justin Reed. And we even talked about Trent McDuffie possibly working in at safety some too with some of the skills he has. And McDuffie also, great tackler, really willing in the run game. We know that that Spags covers that. You already have, you already have, like just thinking about McDuffie, Cook, Sneed, all playing, and Justin Reed will, will bring, the, bring the wood too. All those guys playing in the secondary and that's including with players like Bolton and Gay who like to hit. I mean, they're – I think it was Matt, Matty Lane from uh, Sports – Casey Sports Network who tweeted out that video who's like, so-and-so, dog, so-and-so, dog. 
Trent McDuffie, dog. It's really funny, but just like literally, they just like I said, he just sat and watched videos of Ben Neiman and Dan Swordson all offseason and just got guys who were the anti them. Which brings us to my personal my personal favorite pick of the draft, which I did not expect this to be a linebacker, but I love Leo Chanel. I am all I'm in. glad you said that. I am glad you said that because once I saw that he fell, I forgot he was even on the board. Like him coming in at pick 103 or, or wherever we grabbed him, I was like, holy shit, this guy's still on the board? Like, yeah, pull the trigger, man. Like, he, this, is, this is probably the most athletic linebacker in the past five drafts, Willie Gay included. And, like, we, we'll get him here at the back end to essentially play, like, a, a hybrid Neiman-Wilson type of role in this defense. Like, hell yeah, bring him in. You want to know what he can do. You want to know when I knew Leo Chanel was going to be built different. Like when I knew it was going to be perfect. It wasn't him writing death row on his arm. Badass. It wasn't highlights. It was when I read his Dane Brugler profile and I realized that he was one of 16 children in his family. That's when I knew that man has never not fought for a meal. He had to (laughs) win every single damn day just to get by. This dude is a heat seeking missile. He's a torpedo. Now I want to make it clear. My love for Leo Chanel is because he is simply what he is. He is one of he is a 99% at athlete. He's one of the most athletic linebackers to ever test. And he can not cover the pass almost at all. Like you look at all of his ha- highlights, they are either him rushing the passer or destroying a, a, a running back. This guy it will not be on the field for coverage. But what he does, he does so well. He is a madman, and I am thrilled he's a chief. She's uh, you thought that she's fan because like we sat here and we're kind of critical of the Nick Bolton pick, which I still think is justified because him at the mic, I think he'll look better at the mic than he was playing some last year, and I think he will get better in pass coverage. But Leo Chanel just straight up at the Sam. He is going to Chiefs fans are going to love this guy because he just shoots the gap. He's so aggressive. He's so a- agile. And I'm not going to. And this is something that crossed my mind. I would not put it past the Chiefs to actually keep when they do their dime package to use Chanel like the Bucks use Devin White. And he's basically an extra pass rusher and QB spy. Like if they keep Willie Gay on the field and Leo Chanel and that he's just there. I'm telling you, Tyler Linderbaum is still having nightmares of Leo Chanel in the game that they played. He owns him. And, like, that's a center. Like, the best, the most highly rated offensive lineman in this draft, as far as interior goes. And a linebacker was just eating his lunch. This guy, if you told me that Leo Chanel leads the Chiefs in sacks, I would believe it this year. I was going to say. You said earlier that he could probably be like the third highest sack, third highest sack guy on the team. I think that's a little conservative. I think that if he was the second or first highest sack guy on the team this year, you should not be surprised. I would definitely not be surprised if, if that was the case, because he is so incredibly fast and so incredibly strong that he cannot be blocked by a tight end or a running back. You have to dedicate alignment to him if he is rushing the passer. And in the Spags scheme, where Spags loves to blitz his linebackers, 
Leo is going to get a tremendous amount of opportunities to rush the passer. And imagine Willie Gay with like just a step faster. That's how fast he is. Like, which astounds me as to why he's not very good in coverage because like he has all the athletic tools to be great in coverage. Did Wisconsin like not have that in their scheme? Like, Hey, you're just so good at this. Just don't, don't think about anything else. Just go eat the number one center in the drafts lunch today. And, and we'll see you at the end of the game. Like, was it just because he was so good at something or, or was it because he wasn't very good at it? Because I didn't see a whole lot of him dropping back in coverage every so often. Yeah. But he's just so good when he's rushing the passer or, or, or being asked to take on the run that like having him out there on third down for anything other than rushing the passer is a mistake in my opinion. And, and maybe even sometimes he's like six, two and a half, almost six, three, just a little bit lighter than, than some of the defensive ends that went on the board or went off the board in the draft this year. Dude, line him up at edge. He's got the fastest first step in the draft. Like, see what you can do. Just line him up at edge. Line him up at, at Sam linebacker. Send him on blitzes every other play and just make that offensive coordinator hate you because he's going to have to manipulate his entire offense around two or three guys, which is Chris Jones, George Karloftis, and Leo Chanel. And dude, I just cannot wait to see him play this year because I just, there, you have that feeling in the back of your head. That's like, he's going to be special that he's too good not to be special. If he's used right, he'll be special. Well, yeah. I mean, you look at the way Micah Parsons was drafted and then the way he was actually used, this could be that type of situation. Now let's be clear. Micah, pa- Leo Chanel is not Micah Parsons. The coverage is why, because Micah Parsons has some coverage ability. Chanel does not. But there are linebackers who make a live, like Devin White is a very real outcome for him. And again, we're talking about the upside. But the thing is about all these players that we've talked about, high upside for sure. You know, Sky Moore might be Jeremy Macklin and George Karloftis might be Trey Hendrickson and Trent McDuffie might be Byron Murphy. But their floors are all super low. If Chanel just comes in and is the heat-seeking missile that he is, is in the run game, and then plays a boss-ass special teams, which, by the way, you get all these young, versatile athletes, the special teams is going to lift up, too. You're not getting Ben Neiman and Dan Sorensen running down the field covering kicks. You're getting 99% athlete with Leo Chanel. Um, I, it, it's just really exciting. I think that the, the ceiling is just raised immensely by this roster. And um, this is where we'll kind of just kind of Joshua Williams, another. And one thing that I liked about the later round picks that they did, where they again took three more players in the defensive backfield, all these guys. So McDuffie criticism was height, length. The rest of these guys, all super long, including Lonnie Johnson Jr., all very long. So, you know, McDuffie is a little shorter, which, you know, might matter if you're going up against Mike Williams in the division. But you've got a lot of other guys with length in the division. I loved them being able to get Darian Kennard, who they are straight up calling a tackle. The Chiefs called him a tackle. They described him as a tackle whenever they were talking to him on the phone in the video, which, by the way, um, Darian Kennard seemed mad as hell that he was getting drafted as late as he did. Like in the video, they're like, hey, man, you ready? Like, are you ready to join the Chiefs? What's it like being a Chief? And he's like, yeah, I'm ready. Send me. I'm- he's pissed, dude. Yeah, he was mad as hell. And this, 
credit solely for this, but thank God we got another offensive lineman that voted Republican. It's it's a it's a requirement of all <laughs> offensive linemen. He voted for Trump. He wore an anti Joe Biden shirt. Like that's how you know he's going to be good. Okay, that's it's a it's a key trait of offensive linemen, and he has it. He has the good for sure. And I I he's got some. You know they talk about the arm length. He's got some of the longest arms and biggest hands of the draft. He meets that threshold for Andy Reid. If they, I mean, man, if if, and what I think is happening is. I think that Kennard is starting on that offensive line one way or another, whether that's at right guard and Trey Smith is at right tackle or vice versa. I think it's happening. And that is one of the biggest, baddest offensive lines ever. When Joe Tooney. Did, did you say he was going to start? I think it's completely possible. I, okay. I, All right. I, I mean, here's the thing. I don't think that Nying is going to be ready to go by camp. No, I don't think there's a chance. So he I, has I, I, to I beat out. No shot. Jaron Christian, who I think they want to be their swing tackle because he can play left and right. And then Andrew Wiley, they clearly like him. They've called him a tackle the whole time. Now, Mm -hmm. obviously, Tim Grunhard knows a lot about the Kansas City Chiefs and a lot about offensive line. He's the guy who I've heard say the Chiefs are wanting to move Trey Smith out to right tackle. I'm mixed on that, but Trey Smith's body fits right tackle a little bit more than uh, Kennard does at the NFL level other than the arm length. Either way, dude, so much of this offensive line stuff that's so encouraging is really exciting, but the Chiefs have to use their running backs right. If they yep. get if they get Kennard, who is another mauler, they have to run the ball better and not just not just better, but more often and use the right schemes. And by God, if Clyde Edward Delaire doesn't get a thousand yards and eat more, he is on the clock, man. I I don't know, but I, I was super thrilled. I'm not going to – I like the Isaiah Pacheco, Pacheco pick, speedy guy. Mm-hmm. Um, the in it, I would listen to the NFL broadcast, NFL network broadcast, where they compared him to uh, Darren Sproles, which made my heart flutter. He's <laughs> got the speed. I, I think this was just, you know, overall, giving this draft, I'm going to give it an A. For me, with my draft grades, I start at a C. Like, if you make a good pick – at value, it's a C because it's just kind of that player was there. You took that player. I'm giving this an A. They got so much value, great positions of need. The only reason that it's not an A plus is because I would have kind of liked to see them throw one more draft pick at the wide receiver position. Um, you know, kind of where they grabbed Joshua Williams around four. I would have, my heart was yearning for Eric Yuzikama from Texas Tech, a yak machine. Or, you know, maybe they moved back up for like a Jalen Tolbert or something like that. But overall, A, love it. This is a huge, huge positive for the Chiefs. Yeah, and if I was to give it a grade and, you know, counting in the George Pickens thing, and I, I would have loved to have for them to have grabbed an edge earlier on in the draft, or I guess an, another edge besides the UDFA stuff that they've gotten into. Um. I, I want to say B plus, but my heart says a minus. So I'm going to say a minus. Um, I think that George Pickens would have been a a much better, a a much better player if they would have taken him instead of sky Moore. And then again, um, you know, grabbing Darian Kennard, you could have packaged those seventh round picks up. Those guys are never going to play for you. Like they, they might be special teams players. Uh, You're just grabbing athletic upside at that point. 
throw all those and get a fifth. Like there, there are a couple different ways you could have done that and gotten a contributor. There are plenty of free agent guys that are going to hit the market that, that they can pick up that, you know, would have been able to serve that role. Um, so yeah, I'll, I'll say a minus. I think the McDuffie pick was great. Love the George Karloftis pick. Um, Sky Moore, you know, George Pickens over Sky Moore till I die. Um, Nick Cross was, was a, was a great, or Brian Cook, my bad, uh, Nick Cross. Uh, I think he was another safety that, that came out this year, but Brian Cook, great pickup, good value. Um, yeah, A minus. Great, great job by Brett Beach. And if they can make another move for defensive end in this offseason, hopefully Melvin Ingram, this whole, you know, UFA uh, restriction tenure is works out and he comes back to the Chiefs. I think that you have a potentially a better Chiefs defense this year than you've had in Patrick Mahomes' entire career. And you certainly have a much deeper wide receiver room than he's had in his entire career and probably an even deeper running back and lineman room. So this this could be the best Chiefs team that we've seen in the Patrick Mahomes era. And that's accounting for, I mean, he, Brett Veach is doing that with a $50 million cap hit on on Patrick Mahomes, $35 million cap hit on Patrick Mahomes. So I know we give you a lot of shit, Brett Veach. If you're listening, great job. Love, loved the draft. And to bring this full scope, two things. This is the high we're writing on from the draft. They make a nice little trade for Lonnie Johnson Jr. Looks like Melvin Ingram's coming back. They grab Justin Ross and UDFA. Another great pickup. But this is all coming down from the low that was free agency where the Raiders, the Chargers, the Broncos just hit W after W after W. So they're going to need it. You know, they're going to need every single one of these players. It's the division, the conference has never been harder. It's going to be still a struggle. Um, they needed this draft. They needed to hit home run with this draft. Now, the biggest thing is, is it's easy to do this when you have the most position, most important position figured out, and that's wide receiver or not wide receiver, damn it, that's quarterback. <laughs> I don't know why I said wide receiver. I, oh, it's because I, I still have the draft board up here, and I read wide receiver Sky Moore. Um, they've got quarterback figured out. Everything else can be a lot easier to figure out. Corners, pass rushers, wide receivers, those guys, that stuff's just a lot easier to translate. And we just, you know, let's just come back to the most important thing is that they have the most important position figured out. And hearing... I, there was a recording of Sky Moore. You don't hear the Chiefs side of it. You just hear Sky Moore side of it. And all of his family's like, who is it? Who is it? Who is it? Who's calling you? Who, who is it? And they wouldn't tell them the team. And then he says, yeah, it's going to be an honor to join the Kansas City Chiefs. And the room just goes berserk. Because did you see Jamison William when he got drafted by the Lions? The man looked like he got sentenced to death row. Like, he tried to matters. run away. It he tried matters. to run away. <laughs> yeah, it matters, dude. Like going to an Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes offense. That's what every wide receiver wants. And they have that figured out. We, you know, any professional scouting, you know, NFL team can get enough talent around them to figure out wider, you know, figure out wide receiver and corner and edge and running back and safety. They've got the most important thing figured out. And that's why I'm so optimistic about the Chiefs going forward after this draft. Yeah, absolutely. This is going to be the toughest division that they faced um, that, well, that Patrick Mahomes has ever faced. And so this draft needed to be good. It, it was great. And 
I think that they have a very, very good shot of making the playoffs and going deep in the playoffs again. Um, yeah, just I, I just can't believe that this draft happened. You know, there were so many players that, you know, you, you mock up in drafts and you say, oh, you, I, man, I'm a, I'm a Sky Moore stan. I really hope that he makes it. Um, you know, I, I love George Karloftis, but there's no chance that he'll be there. I love Trent McDuffie and all the guys seem to fall in place for the Chiefs. So I, I just cannot wait for this upcoming season. Absolutely. Well, we are going to have it all covered here on Arrowhead Live. We actually have um, a new show coming out here pretty soon that Chris and I are both going to be a part of. And we will share more about that whenever we know more about it. But this is going to be it for us today. Uh, we loved following along with the NFL draft. Um, please make sure to follow Christian on Twitter at CBreezy underscore edit. And you can follow me on Twitter at Price A. Carter. And follow Arrowhead Live on Twitter as well. Um, we will be coming back to you as this, you know, the offseason is kind of slow. We probably are going to be coming every week. But we will upload the periodic podcast and be looking for some video from us as well. Yeah, super excited to uh, to get into this upcoming season, man. Yeah, absolutely. It's all set. Mickey uh, rookie minicamps next weekend. So get look forward to seeing their numbers and everything. That's always fun. All right. Well, thanks for listening to Not Just Another Sports Podcast.